Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Freedom Hut is open for business. You're in the midst of a Freestyle Friday. 844-900-BUCK. If you want to call in, that's uh, 844-900-2825. We will open up those lines, take calls, chat about the things. Big stories this week. Russia collusion, FISA abuse dossier stuff, and also the economy and the stock market. Ouch. It's been quite a, quite, a, quite a ride, quite a roller coaster. Later on in the show, we'll be joined by our friend Kim Strassel from the Wall Street Journal. She'll be talking to us about... Who's this guy, Christopher Steele? Important question. One I think we should spend some time on, considering that he is a foreigner who may have had more influence on politics in America over the last year than anybody other than Donald Trump himself. So we will uh, talk a bit more about Christopher Steele, both in this hour, I will give you my sense, and then we'll be joined by Kim Strasser later on. Also, uh, an update on emotional support animals. This one was, this is even... In some ways, an even crazier story. I almost find it hard to believe. You'll have to stick around to the third hour for that. Um, and, of course, because it is Friday, it is open for action movie, quote, business. Hit it. You could ask yourself no. the question. Is that it? If you're lucky. No, there's like an intro. Do you? Action movie, quote, Friday. Yeah, action. there we go. You could ask yourself the question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Movie. This is Sparta! Quote. Say hello to my new friend! Fridays. Action movie quote Fridays. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, John, you were right. I just, I, I stepped on the front of it and I was like, wait a second, did we just play a random movie quote? Oh, okay. Um, so, all good. We, we're going to get some new quotes in there too because it's time. I want to change. Those, that's not my, of all the ones we've done, those aren't really my favorite. This is Sparta is kind of amazing, but. The other ones are not so great. All right, we got some important stuff to get into. First of all, what did we find out this week? And I should note, I've got two bits of breaking news for you, actually. Or one piece of breaking news and one piece of maybe it will break news. First one is that the, this just happened right before we went on air. The associate attorney general in government speak, you know, the deputy associate undersecretary associate deputy undersecretary general. The uh, the associate attorney general is number three. And the uh, her name is Rachel Brand, right, I think? Not some, yeah, Rachel Brand, thank you. She has stepped down from the Department of Justice. Now, if you're wondering, well, who does she answer to in DOJ? Rod Rosenstein and... Our main man, Jeff Sessions. That's it. She is number three within the DOJ. Why is she stepping down? What is it about the step down 
Why is she doing it at this point in time? It could be that she just wanted to take a nice, cushy private sector job. You know, maybe they're offering her a lot of zeros to go be general counsel somewhere. You know, maybe there's something. But given all this stuff that's been happening recently with the Department of Justice, I think it's fair to say that maybe there's something else at work here. Or we can at least ask the question. I don't know. Very, very early. But Rosenstein seems like he's in something of a a bind right now. Sessions, who knows what his future is going to be. And then you're left with Rachel Brand. Uh, I, again, I, I don't have anything for you on evidence or uh, reasoning for her stepping down that have to do with the whole Russia collusion thing. I'm just saying it's possible. And the other bit of... Oh, yeah, and and by the way, there was a government shutdown last night. We'll talk about it. Don't worry. I didn't forget. Rand Paul, the one-man shutdown machine. The government shut down for like five minutes or whatever it was. It was like a few hours, right? What was the final tally? Yeah, it might as well have been five minutes. Who cares? (laughs) If a government shutdown happens while we're all asleep, did it really happen? It's an existential question. Fair fair of us to ask it. So we'll talk about what that means. I mean, I... I just wonder, I think that there's not a, as I keep saying, there's not much of a mood in the country right now to have a discussion about how eventually we're going to spend ourselves into bankruptcy. And that's going to be a big problem, problem for our currency, for the economy, for employment, for your savings. But in the meantime, everyone's like, no, let's just party, man. Let's not talk about that stuff. So we will. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then there's also the release of the democrat memo oh yes the memo it's not going to be that exciting i've already I'm, I, I i'm very confident in my prediction that the democrat memo is just going to be like a recitation of the talking points that the media has already been using endlessly and try and tell us how you know how awesome christopher steele is and there will be nothing there will be no bombshells there will be nothing all that really new so those are, those are the news items that I wanted to jam in at the front of the show so we can get right into it. But, but the big thing for me this week was the story that the State Department also had this very strange relationship going with Christopher Steele, that Sidney Blumenthal, one of the most reviled and mysterious of the, of the Clinton hatchet men, Sidney Blumenthal was Blumenthal rather was on the radar all of a sudden dealing with Russia collusion all the rest of it. Let me just give you a little bit of the State Department side of all this because this is starting to look this is starting to look a lot more like like the government not just at the DOJ level was running some anti-Trump operations. You know, I would note did anybody ever go to the State Department with information about Hillary Clinton's myriad dealings with foreign governments all over the world let's just take a step back for a moment so bill clinton can go give that speech that i was telling you about in russia just yesterday for uh, over half a million dollars and there's nobody at the state department who wanted to dig around on that one right no you'll notice it's all your the the deep staters all belong to one political party or doing the work of one side of the political aisle here. There's not a not a not a bipartisan deep state. Isn't that interesting? It's worth noting. And for many of the reasons that I tell you, if you are a senior person at any government agency in the end of Obama's two terms, 
and you're expecting Hillary to win, you want to be on Hillary's good side and you want to make sure she wins. Because you're most likely a status Democrat and think that your future, your career and your prospects will be better if Hillary Clinton's in office. So that may be why you have some State Department folks who are also all of a sudden running around with information on Russia, giving it to Steele. Steele's giving information to the State Department. They're using it. This is this is a whole new level. And by the way, Nunez, Nunez right away said that this was going to be an, another line of inquiry. There would be uh, there would be more information coming out on this. So. Let's now look into this piece on Fox News. Quote, an Obama State Department official has acknowledged he had regular contact with the author of the controversial anti-Trump dossier coming forward in an apparent bid to blunt expected criticism from the Republican chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. In a Washington Post column posted late Thursday, Jonathan Weiner detailed an extensive exchange of documents with ex-British spy Christopher Steele, a friend of his since 2009. He said he shared more than 100 of Steele's reports with the Russia experts at the State Department over a period of two years. These weren't related to American politics, but he would later share information about the Trump dossier with the top levels of the Obama-era State Department. So we know now that the anti-Trump-Russia collusion narrative spread beyond Department of Justice, FBI. We know that this was fed to the State Department, too, and that they, for one reason or another, seem to believe it without, to this day, providing any evidence, any actual hard documentation of any of the stuff that's alleged in these in, in these dossier in the dossier nothing you get nothing and given how much was said in that dossier the th- you got to think about the paper trail that would have been left photographs of trump meeting with some of these people text messages or emails exchanged with some something there's nothing it's like they've conjured the whole thing out of thin air they're taking photos of ghosts and presenting them as evidence they got nothing nothing at all Back to this piece up on Fox News. Weiner said, or Weiner, pardon me, Weiner said he shared separate Trump-related material passed on by a Clinton contact with Steele, filling in the blanks regarding an exchange that was mentioned earlier this week in a Senate memo, and he acknowledged that material, originally from Clinton-tied activist journalist Cody Shearer, made its way to the FBI. Okay, everyone, you have all these different folks involved here state department christopher Steele on behalf of fusion gps doj fbi and they're all just passing derogatory information on trump to each other and really just feeding this cycle of psychosis right just throwing more fuel on the fire here making it seem worse than it is because they're all just repeating to each other more or less the same information no one ever stops to track it down, try and prove whether it's true. They're just they're just going with it. They are just going with it. And where is on the other side the evidence? You'll know the story keeps getting worse for those who really believe that Trump 
had some conspiracy with Russia. I, mean, I think we should use the term conspire instead of collude. They use collude because it's not actually, unless you're fixing prices as a corporation, but colluding is not a crime. So they've been setting this up all along so that the standard for them to be right is less than criminal. It's, it's whatever they say it is. Conspiracy is actually a criminal statute that can be defined and understood. So they don't want to say that there was a conspiracy with Russia. Because that would require an affirmative step. It would require knowledge of the action, the ability to actually carry out the conspiracy. No, no, no. Collusion is much more malleable. It's a much broader term. It can be used just because they want to use it. They can shoehorn into it the information that they need to. And those who are laughing and mocking the notion of a deep state that's getting to be a pretty difficult position, I think. I mean, what they're going to do is is, is uh, going to do a semantic discussion or debate with people over whether we have a deep state like the Turkish uh, Darren Devlet, which is a long. We get the notion of a deep state from Turkey. There's a kind of military and political elite that can override uh, that can override the dictates of the people or the the electoral. Um, you know, the electoral decisions of the people. That's We don't have that. We've got something else, though. What we have is pretty bad, too, which is senior government officials who think that they're in a better place than the rest of us to determine who should be the president, and that they will use their power to that end. This is very bad stuff, and it keeps getting worse. It keeps getting worse for the Democrats. All these Hillary plants. Remember, she was Secretary of State. You don't think that she had relationships with people it's going to say relations but you know what i mean you don't think she had relationships with people at the state department that were yeah that was an accident uh that were involved in all this passing around of information all right they're like laughing at me in there so i need to run into a break here 844-900-2825 it's friday let's inform each other let's entertain each other let's get some let's get this party going um i've got a lot more to talk to you about we're just going to let it rip today because that kind of a day. Stay with me. It's going to be released soon. Thank you very much. I'm going to release a letter soon. Thank you. Thank you. President of the United States saying that the uh, Democrat memo, the Democrat dossier, uh, no, not the Democrat dossier, sorry, the Democrat response. I was going for the alliteration there and went too far. The Democrat response will be released soon, probably next week, although it could, it could, in fact, happen uh, later on, later on tonight. You know, if you wanted to do a Friday document dump, it's probably best to do it on a Friday. So there's that. We'll see what happens. I think that memo, they're going to say, that it just refutes the Republican memo. So there's not going to be any really important new information. And Republicans will say it's a dud. I think it will be a dud. But, of course, they would say that I would say that. And Democrats are going to say that it, it has has essentially eliminated the the earlier memo. So, you know, we'll see. We will see. All right, Brent in New Mexico. Good to talk to you, my friend. What's up? Hey, Buck. Shields high, man. Shields high, sir. Hey, man, uh, as far as Hillary is concerned, man, I'll at least get a little bit of satisfaction, even if the dominoes don't fall, that you got to know that she's not sleeping well at night over this whole thing. There's got to be a cloud over her, like on the what-if factor of this whole thing. Don't you agree? 
Nah, I think Hillary thinks she's going to skate no problem. Invincible. I don't think she's worried about this at all. I'll be honest with you. I mean, you could be right, dude. She could be sweating it at night, but I think Hillary figures, look at look at what we've seen. Look at how protected she really was. She got FBI people catching her back, doing all kinds of shady stuff for her. She's got State Department people doing her bidding. I mean, who else? Where else? Yes, sir. Well, maybe you're right. Who knows? But maybe. Action movie quote for you. All right, action movie quotes. Let's see it. All right, man. Um, here goes. Uh, don't you think this is a bit radical? What? Well, tying, uh, taping a hand grenade to a man's head seems a tad extreme, don't you think? Well, you got your way, I got my way. Well, let me just shoot him in the leg. Well, I, I, I don't want the leg. I want the whole package. Uh, he's got me. What's that? Tango and Cash. Ah, oh, that's legit. That's a good action movie. I can't believe I didn't get that. Yeah. That, you know, I like that movie just because of the Russell, uh, Kurt Russell, so- Stallone pairing. Not really much of a plot. And I, and I don't know if you're ever going to really get those two guys to go into prison, like undercover that way. That seems to me to be a little dangerous. But nonetheless, good movie, though. I mean, entertaining. Yeah, I'd, I'd never scale down a electric wire with a belt myself either, but... When you're a kid, that's cool, man. Yeah, absolutely it is. Brent Shields, hi. Thank you very much for the call from uh, from New Mexico. Yeah. That's the thing. I feel like if you're a law enforcement officer, very unlikely you're going to want to be like, yeah, check me into a maximum security prison where people are getting strangled and stabbed all the time. I'm talking about in the movie. Uh, so that I can find the bad guy or something. I don't know. Or, or I forget why. Did they go in there on purpose or they got framed? I can't even remember now. But it was... That's maybe it was Van Dam. I think it was Van Dam death warrant where he's he's in the prison undercover and he's like doing a lot of karate in the prison, obviously, because because that's going to help you. Uh, Patrick in Wabash, Indiana. Wabash, Indiana. Wabash, Indiana. All right, Patrick. And I I think that the people, if if they have any power and want to keep any power like the the people's where the power's supposed to be, but um, all these um, uh, representatives aren't representing us, and um, uh, it's about time that um, President Trump gets his attorney general moving and uh, actually bringing charges against Hillary and Obama and all the rest that knew about the uh, Uranium One deal and this uh, stuff about um, the FBI helping her to stay in the race uh, for a candidate and maybe win, um, this is a conspiracy to uh, undermine the whole United States government. If they can get away with this, uh, they'll do it every election, and nobody will ever get elected except a Democrat, and it'll be a... Be a uh, dictatorship. All right, Patrick. I, I appreciate your passion, buddy. Thank you very much for calling in. Have a good weekend. So uh, I guess we've got to talk a little bit about the Rand, the stand with Rand. I'm sure others have been using that, right? Because that's too obvious. It's one of those headlines you think is good. Do you realize everybody else is already using it? But the stand with Rand coming up. He's 
Who's holding the line for America? Buck Sexton is back. Team Buck, I was going to get into a discussion here about the debt and Rand Paul and stand with Rand, and we'll do that because this is first and foremost a show about American politics. But I also want to tell you something that could save your life. It really could. I mean, unlikely, but it could theoretically save your life. I'm going to do a total change up here because it's Friday and I feel like it. Let me give you a little bit of backstory here before I tell you how I might, in fact, save your life. I know, Mike, you want to know, right? How I, I might be saving your life, Mike. John, this is an important safety tip coming up here. So there are some things in life that I, I wish to wage my own little personal one-man war against. There's some things that I am I'm deeply opposed to and maybe enrage me beyond what is reasonable or rational, but I'm, I'm convinced somehow that I am, that I am right. Uh, recycling is one of them. I absolutely hate, I hate recycling because I've, I've read a lot about it and it is not a good idea for the most part, so I don't like it. But that's not even top of the list, but I'll just put that out there. Every time I have to do the whole like wash out my my can of tuna and you know put the other thing in there it sounds like a good idea but overwhelmingly it actually requires more energy and is more wasteful to actually do the recycling that depends on where you're doing it but okay fine backup beep sounds on cars they've been around since the 70s they were invented by some guy in japan they're actually a dangerous decibel level for those of you who are wondering if you're close to them it's actually bad for your hearing it's bad for drivers that you know that beep beep Beep, that terrible noise that you hear. And if you've ever been somewhere that's really beautiful and peaceful, and then all of a sudden someone's like changing the asphalt a block away or, you know, down the road or whatever, and you have to hear that stupid noise all day, it's nonsense. You know that 50% of people that are, are run over by trucks that are reversing, the, the noise is on, and they just ignore it because they're so used to hearing it all the time. So it has no effect whatsoever. So I, I'm at war with with backup truck noises, whatever you call it. I don't even know what the proper term is, but I've done research on it because I hate it so much. Yes, that's right. There are some other things that I hate and think we should we should all be united in a war against. So backup noise, recycling, gosh, I could this is going to be a whole other show, just all the things that I hate that we need to get rid of. But here's one, and this is where the saving your life comes in. Uh, these Air dryers in restaurants and airports and stuff that we have to use are preposterous, okay? And and now I know there's this whole thing about uh, paper towel, wasteful, we're using too much towel, uh, paper towel, and all that stuff, and, you know, we're losing the rainforest and everything else. Let me tell you, I like using paper towels. And those stupid hand dryer air things do not work. We all know that. They, they don't work. Paper towel works. Hand dryer does not work. But here's what you, you may not know about the hairdryer. And think about this, especially the next time you're in one of those airport bathrooms that you're actually worried about whether you can continue to wear the shoes that you've worn in there because you feel like some, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's sticky. The ground is sticky and you don't know why, but you know that it's not good. It's not a good sticky. There's nothing good about it. And you're walking around and it you know, makes a little sticky noise. And, and and then you're like, do I even wash? Do I wash my hands? Oh, well, then you have the social pressure, right? Because we all know, the guys know, listening to this, that a lot of us feel like we could get away without, you know, 
touching anything that you, you need washing, but no, no, there's other people around, so you got to wash. So you go, you wash your hands, and everyone's like, oh, I always wash my hands, please. All right? I've been around, folks, and I've seen the Seinfeld. We all know. So people are going to go wash their hands, fine. But then you get into the, now you got wet hands, and hopefully you're one of those, you're one of those bathrooms where you can do the little w- wave your hand in front of the motion sensor. It's very, uh, very 20th century. You wave your hand in front, and the water comes. And, of course, the water, like, gives you just enough of a spray that if you were really just intent on washing your pinky finger, you're good. If you want to wash two fingers, it's going to take you a few minutes. You know, two hands, you might be there for an hour. But nonetheless, you're there, and you get a little spray, a little spray of water, and, you know, you you hope that everything works out fine. But then you go over, and, you know, may, maybe you're lucky. Maybe you're one of the privileged few who you, you happen to travel in circles where you get to just use paper towel like a normal civilized human being. But you may also be in an airport bathroom where they only have those dryers, particularly the there's the ones that are like the the blade, I think they call it, where you got to stick your hands kind of down. Those are the fancy ones, right, supposedly. And then there are the ones that you have to hit the, the button, and then you put your hands underneath it, and, and you sit there, and you... And you always know, right? I mean, I can't speak to the ladies here. I don't know how I've looked. The whole the ladies' restroom is a completely unknown universe to me. I have no idea what goes on in there. The men's restroom, you gotta, you know, you wash the hands, you rub them together, you're trying to get them all dry, and you end up just just wiping your wet hands on your jeans or your khakis or whatever on the way out. That's just reality, because that stupid dryer doesn't really work. Well, here's where the the real kicker comes in. In case you didn't know this, that dryer is essentially a blowtorch of bacteria, viruses, and fungi. In fact, they've done studies now that show that particularly virus particles uh, are 1,300 times more effectively spread by air dryers than by paper towel dryers. Did any, were any of you aware of this? Let's be honest. Producer Mike, Producer John, did you know about this pestilence that is the air dryer? Okay, see? Now, we are in the midst, my friends, of a particularly nasty flu season, which is going to get even even worse, they're saying, right? It's as bad as it's been in years. And right now, all across the country, some of you may, in fact, pull your hands away, darn it. Some of you may be in an airport listening to the show on your smartphone or maybe over the PA system if they have really good taste in radio stations. And I'm telling you, use paper towel. Because what ends up happening is the bacteria and viruses that are in the air in the bathroom get collected up in that little dryer. And then, like I said, it's a blowtorch of pathogens all over your hands, which are also, by the way, still often wet. And then if you wipe your wet, sort of sort of dry, but mostly wet hand on your face, near your eye, your mouth, you've just gotten... A, like a nuclear bomb of fungi, viri, and or viruses and bacteria. It's super gross. A woman actually just did this. Just went viral. It's going viral right now. She put a petri dish under it. That's what she did, and she pressed the dryer thing, and it just filled that petri dish. She gave it forty-eight hours, and I'm telling you, it looked like it looked like somebody's stomach after the alien comes out of it in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's gross. I know. I'm sorry. That was nasty. I went too far. Get a hold of yourself, Buck. But no, really, it was it was super gross. It was really bad. Like lot lots of lots of creepy crawlies in there, and the science backs it up. So when I said that I may be, um, 
when I may be saving your life here, you know, or at least say I'm probably more likely saving you from having a cold for five days. But, you know, who knows? Use use paper towels whenever possible or just wipe your wet hands on your jeans. And we all know, guys, that we you wash your jeans like you wash them when they start to smell. That's when you wash jeans. We all know this. We pretend not to. This is like everybody also says they wash their they wash the sheets on their bed every week. Lies. Every two to three weeks, maybe. The average American, actually, I just saw this, I think it's once a month, washes their, washes their bed sheets. I'm like an every other week guy. You know, I'm probably every two, every two weeks I think it's fair. I'm not going to say it's every week. I mean, I would it, I would tell people that at like a cocktail party, but I, I don't lie to you. You guys are my friends. This is the Freedom Hut. So yeah, it's like every other week probably. But uh, the, the reason that you have the dryers, by the way, the air dryers that are just spreading virus, they're just like little plague factories in, in airports and ba- you know and and bar bathrooms all across the country you know no one has one in their home right because we all know why would you do that that's so weird it, w- it was in part because of environmental concerns so they've been saying oh we're going to save the environment and in the meantime it, it actually used a lot of energy to run those things which burns fossil fuels so there's that but also you're getting people sprayed with uh, with diseases all over the place and the flu season right now is particularly bad so what I'm trying to tell you is unless you want 1,300x the exposure to viruses, bacteria, and fung. And by the way, fungi always sounds scarier, doesn't it? Like there's something, because we're used to virus and bacteria, but you tell somebody they got fungus sprayed on their hands and they really get freaked out. They're like, oh my gosh. Um, you know, that's, that's no good. So this is what I wanted to share with you all because I've, been, I've seen it a few times this week. We got a very bad flu season going on and... Another day we'll talk about whether the flu vaccine is worthwhile or not. That'll always be fun. That's like that's like chumming the water on a radio show whenever you bring up uh, flu vaccine. People are so pro and so against. It's really, really good times. But I, I thought you should know about dryers. They're bad, they're evil, and they're forced on us by environmentalists. Paper towel is what you should use. Stock up on those paper towels, folks. It's the American way. We'll hit a quick break. We'll be right back. We don't know how much weight was given uh, by the FISA court to any particular aspect. What we do know is that people who file an application ex parte in front of a court have a special obligation to present all sides and to make sure that if they're relying on something and they know there are questions about its credibility because of its source, they have an obligation to prevent it fulsomely to the court. Now, there's a footnote, apparently, in the application that does say that it came from a partisan source. That's not good enough. And I think there were real problems with the process here. I'm waiting to see the Democratic memo. I want to hear both sides of the issue. But at the moment, I think there was a breakdown of process. I'm with the Dersh on this one. I think Dershowitz is, is correct in his analysis here. Uh, they Saying it's a, from a partisan source, that would not be enough at all because... You could argue that any source, I do argue with people all the time, that really any source is partisan, just a question of how partisan, what the motivations are, and what's going on with it. So there you go. Uh, Kenny in Boston, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, sir. Hi, how you doing? I'm good. And uh, how you doing, Buck? I don't know if you mentioned this yesterday about the Northeastern University professor. No, what happened? You wanted to... Well, uh, uh, it was in the news. I don't know if it, it must have been national, but it was also local. Well, a Northeastern uh, University professor, I'm not going to mention his name because I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it right, and I don't want to confuse with someone else. 
so anyway, he said he'd like to see Trump dead. And so I wanted to let you know that my college background, I have a doctorate from Northeastern University, and I want to apologize on behalf of being an alumni to everybody out there that uh, not only uh, that I strongly condemn that, but that I hold a doctorate degree and I voted for Trump. So I'm not a, what do they call it, a redneck hillbilly, which is also a derogatory term. But I'm I, I do know some hillbillies that self-describe that way. But I will tell you that I've never met a hillbilly from Loudoun County, Virginia, unless they were like a senior executive from Lockheed Martin and thought they were being funny. There you go. That's um, that's that's correct. So I just wanted to mention that. And What's your doctorate in? Bathroom. I have a doctor of pharmacy. Oh, I'm a pharmacist. okay. So you know about yes. these things. Now you want to tell me about the bathroom. Go ahead. Yes, I do want to tell you about that. Well, one of the things, I don't know if you mentioned it, but what I usually do when I go into one of those bathrooms, if it has a door, I just wash my hands properly and I wait till the person in front of me opens the door. If it's, you know, it's a crowded bathroom. So I don't have to touch the handle because the handle is, the door handles are probably one of the dirtiest places you can imagine. So if you're going to, if you're going to wash your paper towels, take a paper towel to open the handle and then throw it out in a barrel outside of the, the bathroom somewhere. So it's just. Yeah, uh, and I, I'm somebody, I do the kind of the karate kick on the door, you know, like the, 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 the front kick, you know, I don't. Oh, I don't yeah. Yeah. I don't touch that door I handle, my, especially airport bathroom to me is and, and I've been in some third world countries, but airport bathroom, no matter where you are, to me strikes me as the most unsanitary place ever. Like I feel like at any point in time I might turn into one of those guys from the movie The Rock when they're exposed to VX gas. Like that wouldn't be too uh, that wouldn't shock me that much. Airport bathrooms are gross. Absolutely. I, I try to avoid them. But so did you know about the, the dryers being so uh, so filthy? I, I I learned that this week. Well, one of the things is when you have uh, when you make uh, IV medications and you work in a hospital as a pharmacist, if you're doing that, they have the laminar uh, hood, the laminar flow hoods, which use air to pull away because yeah, airborne uh, particulates and airborne uh, bacteria, etc., can um, you know contaminate. So if you can pull the air in the opposite direction, you really do a lot. So yes, those things, they blow right up in your face. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know how they, <laughs> it's just uh, psychological, I guess. People think they're, you know, yeah. not touching something and but I hear you. Uh, they're not so good. Pharmacist Kenny, guy. good to have you, t- good to have you calling in my friend. Appreciate the expertise. Shields high and have a great, have a great weekend. Yes. You know, actually the, speaking of cleanliness and all that, uh, the I think it was the Manhattan Company, which was a bank in New York, I believe chartered by Aaron Burr, was at one point in charge of bringing uh, had the I guess the concession or had the the uh, the mission of bringing drinking water into Manhattan. And instead of bringing it from reservoirs outside the city, because that was originally the idea it would have been cheaper, uh, they went with still water that was actually in and around Manhattan and there were some uh, cholera outbreaks early on in the uh, early on in the period of post revolutionary Manhattan that they traced to the uh, poor water quality and cuz a lot of the water actually came from wells in Manhattan at the time and that company later on much much later on became known as JP Morgan Chase the second biggest bank in the world fun fact everyone so, you know, you never know what's going to happen with your company. Um, let's go to 
Charlie in Ocean City, Maryland. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Buck. Glad to listen to you and appreciate your show. Glad to listen to you, sir. Thank you for calling in. I just wanted to mention about Rand Paul. Yes, sir. We're going to get to that next. Go ahead. It's perfect transition. Oh, man, I tell you, that guy has a lot of guts. He reminds me a lot of Trump. He will stand up against all, and I appreciate him. I am not a libertarian, but I appreciate his stand, and he's exactly on target. We cannot afford. We have to put a cap on something. He strikes me as a very principled as a very principled guy. You know, I've interviewed him before. I've actually interviewed him many times over the years, and and I've always felt like he he's not. I know that he was doing a filibuster, but I, I think he believes what he's actually promoting with the oh, filibuster. You know, I, I don't he think does. he's a showboat. He's not like the first guy to raise his hand and run on every TV channel all the time for every issue. You know, this is an issue he feels passionately about. I, I think he's right. I think we know he's right. And I think there's a part of us, Charlie, the, and I mean us being the American people, that just kind of want to believe there is a Santa Claus here. You know, just want to believe we can run up whatever debt we want. It doesn't matter. And Rand Paul's the guy who's like, doesn't work that way. Well, if you, if, if you listen to his 911 call when he was attacked, that will tell you everything about this man. Not hmm. one time in that call to 911 did he mention he was a senator. He never mentioned that. I think he you're right. I remember hearing that call, and he did not mention it. He just gave his address, and he was remarkably he, calm for a guy who was assaulted and oh, beaten yeah. severely on his front lawn because of a of a lawn dispute. From right, was not what it finally was. They they said it might have been personal or there was something, but no, it was just a, a lawnmower thing, right? Yeah, that, that impressed me very much because he didn't throw his weight around. Yeah. Oh, I'm a senator. You know, you got to hurry over here. Yeah, he's always struck me, Charlie, as a very low key guy. And, oh, you know, and he's got a famous dad, too, obviously. And, and he's not, he's just not one of those types. And I like, I respect that about him a lot. We'll talk more about Rand Paul coming up here. I think he deserves our attention and uh, we'll get into it. So thank you, Charlie. Great call, great timing. Team, we'll be right back. with you now because when it comes to the fight for truth the buck never stops the desire to keep interest rates low to make it cheap to borrow money whether or not that someday will have a boom that leads to a bust and i really think that is a worry the stock market's been very jittery in the last few days and i think some of that has to do and it's funny how people interpret it some on the left will say, oh, the stock market is jittery because the government might shut down for two hours. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. If we just continue on this course, I think there's a great, na- there's a great danger to the nation. I think there is a day of reckoning coming, and I think that our debt eventually could get the better of us, that it could really threaten the underpinnings, the, the undergirdings of our country. 
Welcome to Hour 2 of the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. There you had Senator Rand Paul last night during his filibuster, which uh, didn't last all that long because the government was shut down in the middle of the night. No one noticed, really. It was reopened by the time the day got started. And not just that. This is what Senator Rand Paul was warning about. This is what he was trying to raise the alarm about. Here's the here's the write-up of it from CNN. President Donald Trump signed a major budget deal into law early Friday morning, hours after Congress voted to end a brief government shutdown overnight. The House of Representatives voted 240 to 186. The GOP-controlled chamber needed help from House Democrats to clear the bill, and 73 Democratic members gave it. 67 House Republicans voted against the plan. So this is now this is a this is a big budget, a big budget deal. Uh, it, it adds more to the military and an additional one hundred sixty five billion dollars. And there was just increases in spending across across uh, a lot of major categories here. And when you look at this, you have to think, hold on a second. What is. What is the end state here? Where is this all heading? By the way, the funding includes $10 billion for infrastructure, $2.9 billion for child care, $3 billion to combat opioid and substance abuse. The bill keeps the government running until late March, and it removes the uh, removes budget caps for what, two years, right? I believe that's right. So there you have it. Keeps the government funded for for a while here, and also you get rid of budget caps, and there's all kinds of stuff. And no one's saying, hold on a second, maybe we should take a step back, and we should reevaluate how long we can keep spending beyond our means. Debt is a very dangerous thing, a very destructive thing. You know, it's it's powerful, but it can also turn on you. And in the case of our government. We've been able to get away with a lot because we are the world's reserve currency, so that really helps. Uh, we are the world's biggest economy, that really helps. And we're also in uncharted territory, which means that we're like, well, I mean, it's never been done before, but maybe it'll all be fine. Everyone is starting to wake up to the, the reality of rising interest rates. And inflation is still very low. They want it to be. Remember, they, they, the Fed sets a target rate of 2% for inflation. That's what they think is necessary for growth. But here's one thing that I want to just try to cut through all the Because like, nobody really knows what the stock market's going to do. I mean, people are going to take some educated guesses. Some people are a lot smarter than others. But no, nobody really knows. Because I always say nobody can predict the future. So don't ever... Get caught up in that. People who say they can aren't, aren't telling the truth. They can uh, assert probabilities and reason through why they think the probability is X or Y, but they don't know. And they certainly don't know what the real causes are of any particular market swing right now or the other. And a lot of you are like, fuck, yeah, the market. It's not that's not a a pure signifier of or symbol of, of what's really going on in the economy. And that's certainly true as well. There's a lot of stuff going on here, but the the biggest single issue is this. And no one has, well, I'm sorry, before I get to the biggest single issue, one thing to keep in mind is that the government we've seen be incompetent on numerous levels for a very long time. I don't have to get into specifics because you can think of how the government messes up as easily as I can, right? 
government is not great at doing very much at all. And that's why limited government and individual liberty are such important concepts for us. But there is this idea that the Fed, which isn't even really the government, it's kind of this quasi-government situation, the Federal Reserve Banks across the country, knows what it's doing and everything will be fine. Now, some people would say that's crazy and they'll point you to the creature from Jekyll Island, a book that I think you would enjoy if you were to get a chance to read. They take the more Ron Paulian view of the Fed actually creates a lot of the problems and removing U.S. currency from the gold standard was a very bad idea and and so on and so forth. And that we haven't yet felt the full consequences of some of those decisions and some of the financial engineering behind the scenes, but we will. And that's what Rand Paul was saying last night. We will. Just wait. The problem with waiting is that by the time it hits, it may be too late to do anything meaningful about it. So uh, for one thing, trusting that the government can handle the immensely complicated and uh, always changing financial landscape of this country, that they can be good stewards of it, I don't think so. I think think we're giving them a lot of credit, uh, no pun intended. And then there's the other component of this, too, which is what's really happening in the country right now. And this is where certain generations don't want to hear it. Other generations are like, yep, you have finally now the boomer generation retiring, receiving Medicare benefits, going on Social Security. And as we know, particularly with, with Medicare, the average beneficiary takes out twice as much as he or she pays in over over uh, the course of a lifetime, of, of the lifetime of the payer, which means that somebody else is going to have to pick up the tab. This is why you have such enormous, uh, in, enormous expenses attached to Medicare. End-of-life care is when most of your medical bills pile up, by the way, and the government picks up a big portion of that tab, and we've been led to believe that you pay for it as you go. It's not true. It's really just a tab. It is a bill. It is a credit card that is being handed off to younger generations to deal with, to handle. They will have to make good on those obligations. My generation, the generation below me, and the generation below that. The only way to make good on those obligations is higher taxes. Those higher taxes are going to put pressure on private industry and the economy, as we know. And when you add into all of this, just the servicing of the debt that will at some point be so high that we won't be able to ignore it anymore, Uh, then you have real problems. Then you have real structural issues that will cause anemic economic growth. And, you know, that's also what I just now I'm bringing in a little bit of the political science side of it. But I think of the work by Crane Brinton called The Anatomy of a Revolution. He goes through a series of different periods in history, the American Revolution, uh, glorious revolution in the UK, Russian Revolution, the French Revolution. And one of the things they all have in common, it's not poverty, it's not despair, it's not anger at the government, it is unmet expectations. It is people who feel like they're getting, based on what they should get, they are getting a raw deal. And that's when politics become particularly combustible. That's when revolution can become a reality because those who have education and access to resources feel like they are trapped in a system not of their making, and so they want to smash that system. Not just because they uh, feel like it's not a great system, but that it is not what the system should be based on their expectations. 
So it is unmet expectations that can lead to revolution and can lead to revolutionary change in governments. And this is also why I think a lot of people are expecting that down the line, you will have a Bernie Sanders style government. You know, that that was just a, that Bernie was a harbinger of things to come. Rand Paul is also a warning of that. You keep spending and spending and spending. What happens is not that people turn around and say, government, you've promised too much. What have you done? We need to cut you back now. No, no. Things, the government gets so large, it says, well, if we're going to do what you need us to do, we're going to need more money from you. We're going to need to take more from you, more taxes. And to administer these programs, we're going to need to be an even larger government. And if you can't count on your own hard work, sweat, and ingenuity to get yourself ahead, why not rely more on government largesse? The false promise that somebody else will pay to get you ahead. Somebody else will pay for your health care, pay for your schooling. Well, if somebody else is always paying, there's nobody left to pay for it. We are eventually just running into circle, running in circles here. And right now, I understand it's the good times. Trump had a great first year in office. I am so pleased with what the Trump administration has has been able to do thus far. And I practically want to do a little buck happy dance every time I see Trump either tweet or smack down one of these overpaid punks in the mainstream media. It's amazing. It's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm not even beginning to put the blame for all this on Trump. He's been in office for a year. We, he came in, we got a $20 trillion debt. Right? And with the Obama administration, it was just a free-for-all, as we know. And the press was just cheerleading the whole thing, just pushing it all along. Oh, that's right. Spend, spend, spend. It's someone else's money. It's someone else's money. It's your money. It's actually your children's money and their children. And here's where you get into the weak seam in the system, the crack in the entire economic model we have. As long as you can, as long as you can put the debts on future generations, as long as those who are getting the benefits can vote to have the benefits paid for by somebody else coming down the line, the situation is just going to get worse and worse. This is, this is intergenerational theft, my friends. That is what the national debt is. That is the truth of it. It is not politically popular to say. Nobody really particularly wants to hear it. But it's one of the reasons why a lot of millennials, in fact, the most left wing of the millennial cohort are people around my age in their early 30s because they can't get into the housing market in a lot of places. They feel like their wages are stagnant. They haven't been in, they haven't been a part of the asset bubble that is um, that is the housing industry in this country. Right. O- home ownership. And they just feel like it's all a rigged system. And by the time they get to their peak earning years, taxes are going to be so high that it's going to be an even more rigged system. So this has to be dealt with. I mean, this this is where being accountable and responsible as a nation comes into play. But accountability and responsibility are not fun. Look, today I'm going to complain about it later, but Miss Molly's been making some delicious food. And I just, you know, I was a little hungry this afternoon and I just went after it. You know, I just started piling mozzarella on top of mozzarella and cheese on top of cheese and you know and and later i was like what is what you're just buck you're a savage what is wrong with you discipline my friends discipline i lacked it this afternoon uh, when i was eating the leftovers of what she had made for dinner last night was just amazing and the problem with cheese is that you can melt cheese on anything and it's a little bit better you know what i mean if it if the dish has cheese you're like oh that's great but it's leftovers now i'm gonna i'm gonna sprinkle a little more a little more mozzarella on top and i melt it it's even better Am I really going to deny myself that slightly enhanced, that the, the, the performance enhancing effect of a little additional melted mozzarella, maybe even drizzle a little fontina across it? I don't know. Depends on 
how crazy I'm feeling. But it lacked discipline. You know, I spent an hour in the gym yesterday, spent five minutes eating melted mozzarella on top of Molly's concoction, and uh, guess what? Probably undid all that work in the gym, right? we got to look at the debt the same way, folks. We can't keep doing this. We can't keep melting cheese on top of cheese and saying that it's all going to be fine. It's because it's not. That's what Rand Paul, that is actually what Rand Paul was saying last night for the many hours he was talking. So uh, do do we care? I don't know. I mean, do do the American people care enough to actually do something about this? I think that's very much an open question. Or are we just going to party until we all go down with the ship together? That's what we face right now. And maybe we'll talk cryptocurrency another day. All right, we'll be right back, team. Stay with me. A dead no on life support, uh, maybe, and certainly in trouble and certainly angry. I mean, remember, this is the party, the GOP of fiscal discipline, the Tea Party. The whole reason they came into being was to try to establish, to force fiscal restraint, smaller government. Now you've got a Republican president, a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and they have blown all the doors off the deficit. Chris Wallace on Fox. I think he's just telling it like it is. Unlike David Gergen, who's over on CNN right now, the budgets and the Reagan deficits and the Ford administration and Nixon budgets and deficits. Uh, Chris Wallace is laying it down. I think he's right. So there's that. Um, what do you think about all this? Brian in Chicago. Hello, Brian. Good evening. Uh, yeah, I've, I pay attention to this topic quite a bit. Uh, you're talking about generational theft, which... It is true, but uh, I heard an interesting fact not too long ago that uh, half the babies born in the United States are paid for with Medicaid. And, you know, it's, it's like we're in this huge confidence game with our economy and the global economy. Uh, you know, it's been said that if the United States economy catches a cold, the rest of the world gets the flu. So the entire world economy is hoping that the United States flourishes and prospers because then their economies will do well, too. And, you know, we have this, like, symbiotic relationship with communist China now, the world's largest and fastest-growing economy. And, you know, it's, it's just a huge confidence game. There's no way around it. And everybody is hoping for the best, but there's a lot of uh, scary realities out there that no one wants to really talk about. And... You know, another one that I always have discussed with my friends is, uh, you know, most of the population of the United States is really not that rich and really not that well off. I mean, I have a huge extended family, and, uh, you know, most of them are living hand-to-mouth, unfortunately. Uh, I heard a statistic that half the adults over the age of 50 have less than, they have a net worth of less than $10,000 in this country which is nothing. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. So it's easy to see why so many people are dependent on the government and government spending. Yeah, I mean, we have a trillion. You mentioned in the beginning of Medicaid paying for a large... I don't, I don't know what if that statistic is, is spot-on accurate or not, but uh, I do know that we have a trillion-dollar welfare state, so that's a lot of money. Right. right. And, and the entire world is dependent upon our economy and consumer spending. I mean, 70% of our economy is people going to the store and buying stuff. 
And a large percentage of those people are on some type of government support, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, you name it. Yeah. Is this going to be a good year for the economy, though, Brian? You seem like you're up on this stuff. I'm sorry, what? I said, is this going to be a good year for the economy? You seem up on these things. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. Um, All right. You know, I live in a fairly prosperous area in the suburbs of Chicago, and I see a lot of, you know, businesses flourishing, and my wife's having a good year. We both work. Uh, but it's just, you know, it goes in cycles. Okay. You know, yeah. I mean, it was really scary in 08. I mean, extremely scary, but, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not heading out to the, I'm not heading out to the Sexton bunker and, you know, getting the gold and the ammunition ready just yet. You know, I'm, I think we're going to be all right. But thank you for calling right. in, Brian. It shields high. Uh, Andrew in Macon, Georgia. Hey, Andrew. Hey, happy Friday, Buck. How you doing? Good, good. Thank you for calling in. Hey, I was just going to uh, weigh in quick on the uh, the debt part. Uh, definitely going to follow the trend of the rest of the Americans and uh, throw some cheese on my nachos tonight. And, and There you go, because you're American. So, you love cheese because America. <laughs> yeah, so I got a quick uh, dilemma for you and then uh, maybe hit you with a quote. Um Dilemma. So, military prosecutor put a. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll. Wait, I'll you you up. are a military prosecutor? I am. I okay. Am. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you saw that one of the vice chairs in the Libertarian Party. I'd like to think my thoughts are uh, pretty libertarian, but pretty disappointed in the party. Came out saying uh, having sex with fourteen year olds all cool, um, and then turned around and said all military members should be prosecuted for. Uh, you know, murder and and whatever. whatever. Now, I'm, I'm missing yeah, this. Hold on. So, I mean, there's no state in the country where 16 is the lowest age of consent of any state in the country. So, 14 would be statutory rape. So, who said this? Yeah. So, this is uh, one of the vice chairs in the Libertarian Party. Okay. I've never heard of this person yeah. or this thing, but I'm. I'm oh, you know what, yeah, I, I don't know. Andrew? Let me do this because we're we're actually going to be running into a break here in a second. We'll hold you through so I can hear the rest of what you're saying because I don't want to cut this off sure. midway. It sounds like it might get. Uh, Lost in translation. We've also got some other folks on hold. We'll get to them, and uh, we will discuss all the things. And uh, third hour, by the way, coming up, Kim Strassel of the Wall Street Journal on who is Christopher Steele, the international man of mystery, or Hillary's political hatchet man. Other shows just talk at you. In the Freedom Hut, we have a mission. We fight for the truth in a team effort. And Buck is back with our next play. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. We uh, were taking a call from Andrew in Georgia before. So, Andrew, you say you are a prosecutor in the Air Force, and you're telling me about some libertarian guy. So what happened? All right, so the... uh, I think he's a vice chair, could be wrong, some higher up in the Libertarian Party. Uh, they had one of the guys that was also a higher up step uh, step down. I, I think they put it to a vote because this guy came out and said uh, that he thinks it's all right to have sex with 14-year-olds. So he wants he to lower – so this is somebody in the Libertarian Party that wants to lower the age of consent? Is that what this was about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, and my dilemma is I just finished up a case with pretty much the same fact pattern for like a troop having sex with a with a 14 year old. And I guess my question is, did we uh, did we prosecute him for the wrong thing, and should we go on after him for uh, you know being complicit in in the murder of terrorists or you know something else like that? I'm not catching the 
Well, I'm, no, I'm just saying it's just it's kind of crazy to me that there that that you got this guy in the Libertarian Party that's you know he, he wants to lower statutory rape and then at the same time he's like well the military's the worst. Oh, so he says just, the military is terrible. Yeah, I mean this guy sounds like yeah, this, yeah. this guy sounds like garbage. So I, th- I guess we can kind of yeah. just say that, right? I mean the age of consent's important to protect yeah. girls from being. Uh, the victim of oh, predators, no and this guy's a weirdo. And uh, you know, I guess, I, I guess there we have it. Did you, you also had a movie quote? I did, I did. So I, I think you probably get this one. But uh, so why do we fall down? So we can learn to pick ourselves up. Uh, the Patriot, Batman. Oh, come on, Batman. Come on, Batman. That's from no, no. That's from Nicholas K- Nicholas K- K- or Kane. No, 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 Kane. What's his name? Something Kane. Michael Kane. Michael Kane. There we go. It's Michael Kane and Batman. I, ah, all right. There you go. Why do we fall down so we can lift ourselves back up, Batman? It's got that really weird accent. All right, man. Thank you for calling in, Andrew. Thank you for holding. Appreciate it. Uh, let's take um, Felix in Pennsylvania. Felix. What's hey, up? Block. Shields high. Hey, Shields high, Felix. What's up, buddy? Hey, I. I had a little query to make of you. What does the Super Bowl and the 2016 election have in common? Get the dump button ready, John. Uh, I don't know. Okay, well, just like Hillary, the Patriots thought they were supposed to win. What happened? That was actually pretty good. I'll actually, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a high five. Not bad. Not bad. All right, Felix. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, uh, hopefully Brady's not thinking that the Eagles can, uh, colluded with the Russians to steal the game. All right, now we're pushing it. Now we're pushing it. So what's what's what else is on your mind, Felix? Okay. Uh, also, a couple of days ago, you mentioned uh, something about people who believe in climate change not wanting to have children. Y- yeah, it's a story. It's a real story uh, that's out there by the journalists writing it. Yes. Okay. Well, this could be a good a good case for natural selection. Just think, if the conservatives are fruitful and multiply, and those people decide not to have children, in a generation or two, we'll outnumber them. Um, I, I, I mean, yeah, mathematically not the case, but nonetheless, I, I get, I get what you're saying. Okay, now also, all right, Trey Gowdy, I was disappointed that he was retiring from Congress. Yeah, uh, this is this is serious, actually. But however, because I think he's been a real service to the people. But however, maybe we should start a campaign to get Trey Gowdy for Attorney General. Could you imagine him going in there and cleaning house? I think he'd be great, but I, I get the sense that he wants to step away from the, the center of the political storm here. And, and the truth is that it's this is just going to continue on. I mean, we're going to be talking about Russia collusion on this show in 12 months. Mark my words. In probably 24 months. It's still going to be, a, yep, yeah, producer Mike is with me. It's, it's going to be something that we're... It's just never going to go away because it's so comforting to people. I mean, you get Trump's approval rating, and Felix, thank you for calling in. Um, you know, you get Trump's approval rating at fifty percent right now. We were told that this was going to be the most epic disaster of all time. It was going to be fascism. It was, you know, the end of America, the alt right, the neo Nazis that were taking over. And it's like actually the country's doing really well and things are pretty cool. So, and that's why Trump's approval rating I'm seeing here, this is up on Drudge, is near 50%. It's like 48 or 49% right now, which for a president is very strong, especially at this stage of the game. So, what do they have on this one? You know, what do they have up for this one? They want to believe that it was all just a big lie. They would prefer that. I've always thought that was so, uh, 
uh, one of the more annoying parts of this whole uh, situation with the Russia collusion was that even some of the anti-Trump conservatives take the position that the people that support Trump or think that Trump has done a good job. It's like we wouldn't want to know. We we wouldn't want to know if this had really happened. I absolutely would want to know. I just have no I have no reason to believe that Russia collusion did happen. And I've been told a lot of things about it that were not true. So I'm just coming to a pretty straightforward analytic conclusion about whether or not this is something that occurred. And and, it, and based on everything I've seen, it did not. So there we have it. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth on when. Do we know the memo? Is it, it's they were saying before it could be any minute, but that's not no way, right? No, there's no way. That would be that would be a waste. We, we need at least a solid news cycle day out of this next week with the Democrat memo. It's going to be fun to watch Schiff go on TV expressionless. Because that's what he does. And then just in, in monotone, spew lie after lie. I guess he's good at that. Every, everybody needs a skill set. Uh, 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Lines are, uh, are open if you'd like to call. I know we've got some folks who are on hold. We'll get to it in just a few. You know, the, the White, House is, uh, White House has been under fire for this whole situation with this guy who resigned do we have trump saying what did trump say about it? yeah we got trump here this is what trump said about this guy porter who uh who just left because of allegations of spousal abuse thanks guys. well we wish him well he worked very hard i found out about it recently and i was surprised by it but we certainly wish him well it's a uh, obviously tough time for him he did a very good job when he was in the white house uh, and we hope he has a wonderful career, and hopefully he will have a great career ahead of him. But uh, it was very sad when we heard about it, and certainly he's also uh, very sad. Now, he also, uh, as you probably know, he says he's innocent, and I think you have to remember that. He said very strongly yesterday that he's innocent. So you'll have to talk to him about that. But we absolutely wish him well. Did a very good job while he was at the White House. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks, Thanks. We are in this place now where allegations are as good as guilt in the court of public opinion. Uh, this guy having both ex-wives. I, I'm, I try to look at this as honestly as an outside observer can. And having both ex-wives come out and say this and providing and providing some of the evidence they have. It certainly looks very, very damning. Uh, so the president, I sp- you can tell that uh, this guy, Rob Porter, was well liked by the president and within the White House just by the way this whole thing has happened. And also they have this uh, report out now that Kelly, the chief of staff for General Kelly, said he was willing to resign over this, which, you know, I also think and I, I wasn't following this minute by minute. It's been the biggest story over at uh, MSNBC and CNN for the last 48 hours because it's a. uh it's a mark on the record of the White House, right? So anything that, that damages the White House is front page news or very, very important news over at those networks and is used as a and if it can be used to bring down other administration officials. And they're saying now Kelly may be next. Uh, that gets them even more excited. But you have uh, Dershowitz, for example, Dershowitz, our second Dersh shout out here on the show, uh, saying the following about this, which I was I was uh, interested to hear his take. 
I think anybody who is accused uh, by the Me Too people or anybody else and who denies it uh, should have an opportunity to make their case, to present their argument. Uh, used to be that it was a she said, he said a dispute. Now it's a she said and you can't even respond dispute. There has to be an opportunity for both sides to present evidence and there has to be a fair process for determining who's telling the truth. We can't suspend due process just because there's a movement afoot that is making some very, very important points, but we need due process. Due process. What does due process look like in the in the era of me too. If someone loses their job and their reputation, how can they? And, and let's assume that the person's innocent, which I would not assume about Rob Porter. I don't know, but it does not look good. And I think that the fact that he resigned this is what I said to you yesterday. I'm of the mind, you know, if if you've never hit a woman, you know, you've never hit a woman and somebody alleging you have, you would never back down as a man because your honor's at stake. So you would never say, yeah, OK, I'll just step out. I'll step away from this issue and handle it later. You'd say, absolutely not. I did because you either did or did not, right? And if you know you didn't, I feel like you would. I'm just thinking about this from trying to put myself in that perspective. If I were accused of that, you know, uh, of, of spousal abuse, I've never been married, but if I was accused of spousal abuse uh, and and it was untrue, I wouldn't. I would never give an inch on it. I would never back down for a second because your honor is is at stake in that out with that allegation and that discussion as a man. So for someone to step down and step away from it, to me, it 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 certainly it looks bad. It looks bad for him, and maybe it should look bad for him because he's guilty. But it it does raise some interesting this whole moment in time when the allegation is seen. The allegation has greater potency than at any time in recent memory. Just the allegation of of abuse of of any kind, sexual harassment, uh, physical abuse. Um, we need to just keep looking at this, and this is an evolving process. Uh, I don't think Kelly's going to be gone over this, but they were saying he might resign. So this would be this would be quite a uh, well. There have been a lot of exoduses from the uh, from the White House already. Lots of folks who have who have departed. We'll see. We will see. All right, in a quick break, your team. We'll be right back. Oh, boy, some uh, breaking news over at CNN. So I'm just telling you the source. Okay, make of it what you will. Uh, The first is they say that a second White House aide, this just happened in the break, a second White House aide, not yet uh, specified, has resigned because of domestic abuse allegations. So I I don't have any more details than that, but that was in their uh, their Chiron, the bottom of the screen there. That's what they were saying. And that's one thing. The other... Bit of breaking news uh, comes courtesy of also CNN, and they're saying that Trump is refusing to release the Democrat memo as is. Now, that could be because of, well, a few different things. I think the most likely one is that Trump see or there, there's information in there that should not be in there that legitimately is uh, sensitive. Uh, Because at this point, we should be trusted to be able to wade through whether or not there's a uh, whether or not there is a political motivation behind the words used in the Democrat response memo. I I think that we should be able to see it. So 
Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I don't know what's going on with that. I, I saw an hour ago it was within a matter of minutes we could see this memo get released. That seemed unlikely, but and now um, now they're saying that Trump might not sign off on it. So what's going to happen is that if Trump doesn't sign off on it, then Democrats, no matter what the memo is, Democrats will claim that Trump was suppressing the truth. So they have a very clear incentive, as I've been saying all along, they have a very clear incentive to uh, do what they can to try and see uh, to, to seed it with information, to fill it with information that they know in good faith cannot be released publicly because there would be stuff, right? You know, if the U.S. government has a guy who's a source somewhere and that person would be placed in jeopardy for speaking to the U.S. government, you know, you can't release that name, right? That's This is a very understandable why. So if they put something like that in there, uh, then you might have a situation where they wouldn't be able to just approve the release. Now, the House approved it, so that means to me it's... That seems strange. Why would the House, unless they were trying, they were going to leave it to the president, or they're calling the bluff? I mean, we're really getting down into the, getting down into the weeds here of this process. Um, so, and, and I, as I haven't been able to read the memos, I'm sorry to say, uh, or I haven't been able to read the classified memo. There was a time when I might have been able to read it, but not anymore. Um, I can't tell you that much more about it. But yeah, here you go. Fox News also: Trump will not declassify Democrat memo. All right, so now. It's not just fake news. Now we've got Fox News that's actually reporting on this. So that means that I think we could take it to the bank. Trump is not. This is just breaking now, folks. Not going to declassify that memo. Hmm. This is uh, this is a surprise. This is not what I thought was going to happen here. Well, I still think it'll come out. It contains numerous properly classified and sensitive passages. He is unable to do so at this time, as the Fox is saying. Okay. Well. Hmm. They've uh, didn't didn't the Congress sign, the committee signed off on this right, but did, so they've said that they think it's fine for release. So what would Trump see in there that's not fine for release? Huh? I, I've got I got I got to think on this one a little bit. This is strange to me. I assumed that Trump would just sign off on it unless the Democrats packed it with classified on purpose, which I told you they might try to do. But if it made it out of committee. Unless the process relies on the executive branch and the FBI and Christopher Wray to be the ones that, well, here's one thing I will say. There are different uh, equities, you know, different interests that the various agencies have with the information. And so there may be, in, okay, now, now, now I'm starting to see how this might work. The FBI has its own information. It's under the purview of the executive branch, but the FBI would be asked, you know, if this gets out there, is that a problem? It's FBI-specific information. And the same is true of NSA and all these other different organizations, right? If, they, if it's their information, if they're the, the first original collection point for it or, you know, first uh, analysis uh, writer of the information, um, then... You, then they would be consulted in the process. So maybe Congress thinks it's okay. The The congressional committee was like, we don't see an issue with this, but the FBI has raised the issue and Trump knows about it, and therefore they don't want to release it as is. The White House is saying the Democrat memo contains numerous properly classified and especially sensitive passages. 
See, the, the, the part of this that I need to know, and I can't figure this out right now on the fly, is did, did the Republican members of Congress on the House Intelligence Committee not think so? Or were they relying on the White House to do the scrub? Hmm. Declassification. Always remember, it's, it's not a science. It's an art. Maybe with a little bit of science thrown into it. But it's a judgment call. Classified information is, is always, honestly, a judgment call. I mean, sometimes it's a very obvious call, but there's judgment involved in it. Trump will not declassify Democrat memo. This is going to get the whole, this is going to stir up the swamp over the weekend, that's for sure. I wonder what's going on with this one. I'm going to dig into this team over the weekend. I, I can't give you a definitive analysis of what I think has happened here yet because this was not, I was uh, not expecting, I thought Trump would sign off on it. In fact, they were reporting that it was going to get released. Like maybe even tonight. That was unlikely, but possible. Now they're saying it's not. Something got thrown in here at the last minute. Something jumped into the fray. So uh, I will look at this. We'll continue. Look, it's, the good news is we got um, our friend Kim Strassel from the Wall Street Journal joining us shortly. She's going to talk to us about Chris Steele. Uh, so she'll be a good person to weigh in on all this stuff, and we'll see We'll see what she thinks. Um, we will get to that and uh, much more, including an update on emotional support animals. Stay with me. So who is Christopher Steele, everybody? He is popping up on the TV screen all over the place. Tons of news reports about him. The man who put together the dossier. That's what we know, but we should probably know a lot more because his credibility, his background, and his motivations go to the heart of the whole Russia collusion and FISA abuse situation. So we've got Kim Strassel from the Wall Street Journal with us now. She's going to help us answer this question. Who is Christopher Steele? Well, Kim, tell us. Well, as you said, Buck, we know the basics about him. He's former MI6. Uh, about seven years ago, he went into a private consultancy practice, which is another way of saying he does research for hire. Uh, and then, of course, he was contracted by Fusion GPS, which itself had been contracted by the Clinton campaign. So he is, in essence, was in essence working for the Clinton campaign, and he wrote up this dossier, which the FBI ended up using uh, as a justification to surveil Carter Page. Now, people seem very invested, or, or I should say some folks in the media seem very invested, Kim, in promoting Steele as, as the kind of spy equivalent of what they've said about Comey, right? That this guy, he, he's the last honest man standing in the UK or, or whatever. And I just wonder what they're basing that on, because we do have some evidence that actually he's quite shady, yeah, it's astonishing. The press, to the extent that they have even looked at Christopher Steele, um, have largely just portrayed him in this heroic light that, you know, he, he's sterling credentials. He presents this dossier. The FBI absolutely trusted him. And so we should go off the basis of that. Now, we do know the FBI trusted him. But what we're coming up with in the last couple of weeks is whether or not that was a very big mistake. Because what we know and what's interesting about this part of the story, Buck, is that it is on the record verifiable facts. It's not this kind of he said, she said stuff that's been going on about the memo. But what we know here is that um, Steele went to the FBI. They told him not to discuss this dossier with anyone but themselves. He nonetheless went out with Fusion GPS and began a series of briefings uh, letting the press know all about the FBI's investigation um, and therefore kind of blowing that investigation in that they tipped the targets off to the fact that 
that they were being looked at, um, did not tell the either. And then, by the way, either did not tell the FBI he had done this or when asked by the FBI, lied about it because the FBI ended up going in front of the court and saying, look, our guy is credible. And one reason we know he is because he's not talking to the press. And yet here we are, the dossier still, as far as we know, the, the, the only real evidence for the Carter Page FISA warrant. Do we have any sense of whether we're going to I know the Democrat memo is supposed to be released probably next week based on the timeline of the of the Republican FISA abuse memo. This will be a response to that. But is there any chance you think we're going to get some greater insight into what else may have been used other than the dossier? Because right now it's dossier or bust. Yeah, I mean, look, what we know is that, uh, and, and this was laid out both in Devin Nunes's memo from the House Intelligence Committee, and then with Senator Chuck Grassley's letter that he made public this week, which is a referral of Mr. Steele for a criminal investigation to the Justice Department. Both of them said that the FBI warrant application relied heavily on the dossier, and then also a news article that Mr. Steele inspired. So they were both the creation of the same person. Um, We haven't heard much about what else might have been presented to the court. Uh, Some people have talked about, well, George Papadopoulos, and supposedly he was in London and in a drunk conversation talked about Russians. But unless you can prove a connection between Papadopoulos and Carter Page, there wouldn't be much of a reason to include that in a FISA application. So uh, we'll find out. My understanding is that this Democratic memo is going to, A, make the case that Christopher Steele is rock solid and beyond uh, any suspicion, and B, that Carter Page is somehow some kind of super spy, although we don't have any evidence of that, and C, that Republicans were, of course, completely partisan in their memo, et cetera, and so on. Um, But I'm not quite sure what else it would have in terms of evidence. We're speaking to Kimberly Strassel. She is on the editorial board of The Wall Street Journal. She's got a great piece up, Who is Christopher Steele? And we are delving into that together right now. Um, and, and to that end, I just would note, Kim, that it seems curious, at least to me, that this guy was a is it was a hired gun in the intelligence world, right? He's no longer was no longer a government employee. He was doing this. He was essentially a glorified private investigator, as I have said on the show before. And that automatically goes to motive. That means that he may have been trying to influence as well as collect information, influence whoever he's passing it along to. And yet you don't get any sense of that from either the FBI or the reporting around this whole fiasco. Well, the FBI surely must feel burned now because he did go out behind their back and brief the press and uh, put their probe at risk, uh, which he appears to have done. I mean, we don't know his motives, but, you know, they had told him not to do so. So that undercuts him. But well, he was paid by the was, DNC, though, right? So I mean, we have, we're talking right? motivations. I mean, there's some motive yeah. there. Now, well, it's interesting. Uh, he would claim that uh, – I, I don't know if he would claim. We've had Glenn Simpson, who works at Fusion GPS, saying that he never told Mr. Steele who he worked for. But that seems curious to me, to say the least, that an ex-spy is willing to just go work for an unnamed client who could potentially be manipulating him. Uh, Not a very sound thing to do. But I would argue, if you go all the way back to when he first approached the FBI, it's, it's undoubtedly true he probably provided them some useful 
information in the past, which is why they trusted him. But they should have had their radar on high alert, A, because of who he was working for. He was coming to them this time, as you say, as a political operative. But B, I mean, let's think about this idea that Christopher Steele, all on his own, sitting in London, because he never went to Russia himself, seven years out of the spying business, with just a few phone calls, managed to unravel an international conspiracy that even the CIA, the FBI, the MI6, and any other Western intelligence agency couldn't find despite all of their astonishing surveillance equipment. Um, It's a pretty amazing tale to begin with. It kind of reminds me of uh, Joe Wilson heading over to Niger to ask about yellow cake. Like, diplomat Joe Wilson was just going to get the answers that had eluded everybody else. And then he wrote about it in the New York Times, no less. Exactly. I mean, there comes a point at which you would hope that our FBI would have just stood back and said, this seems pretty crazy, not just because of what he was claiming to have unraveled on his own, but then in light of what that dossier actually said and the, and the kind of tabloid-like claims it made, all of should have been a reason for why Jim Comey and other FBI agents said, wait a minute here. Do you think, Kim, I mean, do you have a gut feeling on this or do you want to just withhold judgment? Do you think the FBI just wanted to believe it or do you think they got fooled? Meaning they knew it was crap, but they went with it anyway, or they actually just were fooled? I don't know, Buck. I think it's the million-dollar question, and I can't speak to the motives of the FBI and what they were thinking at the time, and that's what we need to understand. But either way you look at it, they either charged ahead with something that they knew was terrible product because they were gunning for Trump or just simply so enthusiastic about the belief that they were saving the planet, or they got duped by a guy, and neither of those speak very well to the competence that that level. And Carter Page as a super spy is just, we don't even have to get into that, Kim, because that's just laughable. No, it is. Look, I mean, people can judge him for himself and see him on TV, but this is a guy who actually willingly went and worked with the FBI and helped them out back in 2013 and 14 when they were trying to take down some other Russian bad guys. He does not strike me as a person who is uh, James Bond extraordinaire. All right, everybody, check out Kim's latest. Kimberly Strassel, everyone, Wall Street Journal. That's WSJ.com. Peace up today. Who is Christopher Steele? Kim, thank you. As always, have a great weekend. Thank you, Buck. All right, team, we're going to roll into a quick uh, quick break. We'll be right back. There's some irony, my friends, in what's going on in this country when you have people talking about fascism and authoritarianism, and they put it all at the feet of the Republican Party, of conservatism, of the alt-right, that uh, temporary boogeyman that has faded very rapidly, hasn't it? For a while, the alt-right was about to take over America, and then it seemed that they realized that, no, in fact, that's not what's happening. The alt-right is not taking over America. Maybe they should be considerably less uh, hyperbolic in their descriptions of what's going on politically in this country. But they say there's authoritarianism. They say that we are heading down this very dangerous and Orwellian path of Trumpism. And that increasingly is obviously untrue. It's always been untrue. But now we see more and more that it's based in nothing. And yet you have these little stories that pop up on the other side. It's always on a college campus or a school district board decision or a you know local 
a newspaper or, or something or other, right, some activist group that does something that makes you think, well, hold on a second. Where's the authoritarianism really coming from? And these days, it does feel like we're not far away from a situation in which there will be a book burning in this country because you already have book banning. And now book burning is associated with the Third Reich and people always think of it in that way. But first of all, it's happened in other places and other times around the world. Uh, But here you have banning and banning to me is a precursor to burning and what they are, what they are ridding the uh, library shelves of includes some of the greatest works of American literature ever written. I, I think there are certainly people who would argue that, for example, Samuel Clemens, better known as Mark Twain. Mark Twain is a term for riverboat captains. It's how they would measure or it is the measurement, the measurement technique of uh, riverboat captains for the Mississippi, how they'd see how how deep it is. Uh, that's what Mark Twain is. Uh, kind of a jumbled explanation of it, but you get the idea. Uh, Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn has been removed from schools in Duluth. Um, and so this is this was reported in the uh, Minnesota Star Tribune. And also Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird has been removed from school shelves. Now, anybody with any familiarity with To Kill a Mockingbird would say, well, hold on a second. A... Uh, a black man unjustly convicted. I mean, these are stories that people, first of all, it's great literature, and, and these are stories that people should know and should read. And among the, the books that I was assigned in school that I actually think were the right, you know, it was the right decision to assign them, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and Huckleberry Finn were, were on the, the good list. They were on the list of books that I was pleased to have been assigned. I'm still amazed. I've gone over this with you before, and I I went to some pretty, uh, what would the word be, some pretty rigorous schools growing up. And when you look at what I was assigned and what I was not assigned, I mean, I never was told to read 1984 in school, for example. I was never told to read Animal Farm in school, which is just complete and utter madness. Those are two books that were... I was never told to read Catcher in the Rye. I was never assigned, and I could just go down a list, right? I was never assigned any of the great Russian literature, actually. That was all stuff that I had to read on my own. But once you start taking To Kill a Mockingbird and Huckleberry Finn off the shelves in schools, I think it's fair to say that the left is now just consuming itself with its own idiocy, and that there's really no longer any... A particular standard that they're using other than the, the temporary measurement of what gives offense, what makes people feel like they are uncomfortable for a moment. And they're, they're removing them, I would know, because of racial slurs. And I also object to the ban in public life on even saying a racial slur when you are quoting someone else. Um, I think it, I think it's a problem. I think it's wrong that we are not even allowed to refer to a word in the context of this is what someone said. This person said the following word. Now, you would say to me, Buck, you're on radio. There are FCC regulations about profanity. Yeah, but 
First of all, I will tell you this. Uh, I actually disagree with those regulations. So there's that. I abide by them because I have to, also by choice. But I don't think that it should be. I think that I should be able to make the choice myself when I'm on a radio program, whether I use profanity or not. And I think that the consumer should have the right to either be okay with it or not. But the federal government in any way setting up guidelines, or I, I think that's nonsense. I really do. Um, so there's that. But also that in, never mind just in public broadcast, but in your day-to-day life, you are now, you're now not allowed to say certain words. I mean, the, the most recent particularly egregious example of this was I remember during the, the Redskins controversy, CNN, if I recall, or maybe it was MSNBC, they blur together in my mind, was unwilling to say Redskins in reference to the team, right? So how are we going to have a worthwhile discussion about an NFL team's name if, in fact, we are not having a discussion about the team name? We have to speak around it. This is the kind of... This is the kind of... uh, lunacy that we're having to maneuver around in our day-to-day lives all the time and it's just getting worse and it's really bothersome you know there's also these campaigns out there don't read these are these are real folks you can check it out don't read any books written by white male authors i'm just gonna stand out there on a limb and say if you cut out all white male authors from from the literature that you are allowed to read in a class or that you're reading on your own that's a pretty good chunk of some really good books. I think, I think that's fair to say. Well, we'll just put it that way. That's, you're, you're leaving a lot. Yeah, there's, there's the great female authors. There's great authors, male authors of, of uh, different ethnicities. Sure, I get that. But if you're cutting out all white male authors, you're missing out on some stuff. I believe that's a fair statement. And there seems to be at a time when we have more access to information and and easier access to information than at any time in human history, there is almost an intentional effort to suppress information and, well, there is an intentional effort to suppress information and uh, poorly educate, a, a kind of forced ignorance on people dictated by, yes, political correctness and, and by political ideology of, of the moment. It changes all the time. I even mentioned to you that there are people who are angry about the TV show Friends, which I always thought was the most saccharine, harmless, you know, put it all in the background while you're, you know, cleaning your, your bedroom or whatever. I mean, and people say that that's sexist and transphobic. And the, the desire to take offense at all things has now become a kind of mental illness. It's really become a, a sickness. It is stultifying. It is, it stunts intellectual growth it slows people down in their maturation processes it's just crazy and and this isn't the first time i've seen this but the the, uh, removal of books from from shelves like to kill a mockingbird and like huckleberry finn and there's also you you can't do peter pan at schools anymore i know I'm, i'm getting a little get off my lawn here but somebody has to this stuff is just getting crazy Oh, and that reminds me. I'm, I'm sorry. One more thing. I will uh, try to take another. It seemed like many of you uh, appreciated the photo of the book stack, so I will. Um, I will take a, a a buck stack or a bucks book stack. I got to think of a cool name for it. 
photo probably this weekend as I'm doing some rearranging, and I'll show you what what I'm trying to make my way through. I'm reading a book right now on uh, on pandemics that is. I, I'm, get, I'm trying to get ahead of this whole flu season thing and really understand as much as I possibly can about what's going on with it. But the book about pandemics is, let's just say it is chilling. Um, and I worry much more about widespread and massive uh, disease outbreaks than I do about a lot of the things that much of the media gets all, you know. that That's more worrisome to me than, well, certainly climate change, but even a lot of the talk of a nuclear Iran and some of that stuff. So... All right, uh, we'll come back to the update on the service animals and more. Stay with me. Well, team, I'm excited for the weekend. I hope you are, too. I don't really have all that much planned, to be honest with you. I'm really looking forward to doing whatever the heck I want. One problem that I've got, and it's a high-class problem, is that Miss Molly has been really tearing it up in the kitchen recently. She... Uh, has just been making all kinds of delicious stuff. And she's even now expanded into making incredibly good food that usually you can't get gluten-free anywhere, but she'll make it gluten-free for me. She made a gluten-free lasagna earlier in the week, and I swear I'm like a human Garfield now. I've eaten like an entire tray of it in the last two days, and it's just making the dad bod fight even harder, right? I've tried to get to the gym a little bit lately, tried to be a little bit more well-behaved in my eating, but I don't think I've had lasagna in five years. It's really hard to find gluten-free lasagna. So basically, I'm, ba- I'm going to blame Miss Molly for my belly getting a little, bi- a little bigger this weekend. Uh, but that's, that's it. I'm planning to do some cooking. Might actually, uh, might actually just have to step up and make some steak this weekend. And you all know what kind of steak. The only steak that we should ever really spend time talking about or thinking about here on the show, which is ribeye, the king of steaks. So that's my plan for the weekend. I'm also going to be watching some Netflix and hoping you are too. Oh, plan is for me to get going with one of our our wonderful deep dives into history known as Shields High. I'm going to try to get an installment out on Malta on Monday. Don't hold me to it, though. I might need another week. (laughs) These things are tough, man. Takes a lot of reading, a lot of... A lot of research. Uh, I'm a one-man band on all the research stuff, so it takes, and the writing and the recording, so it takes a lot of time to get it out there. But the good news is they're evergreens, right? So any of your friends, if they're ever like, oh, I need a podcast to listen to, you can say, hey, the Shields High podcasts are pretty cool, and they never they never go out of style. They're never overtaken by events because they happened a whole, whole bunch of years ago. Oh, one thing, though, before I give you the latest... Uh, installment of Team Buck Roll Call, which, by the way, I need to see if there's anything that comes into our official Team Buck at gmail.com account as well. Producer Mike, uh, one more thing to throw in the mix. I, I didn't know about this one. This is a, a new story. I knew about the peacock emotional support animal. Talked about it yesterday, and I can tell from social media a lot of you have views on that. The peacock is a strange choice. but And so is a boa constrictor, or, or any form of snake for that matter. My understanding was always that animals that are cold-blooded do not have the brain function to actually form any kind of attachments or have affection. But people tell me, no, they had a they have turtles that can be really nice. There was a turtle in a fraternity when I was in college that everyone called Heavy... Well, its name was Heavy D. Heavy D the turtle. And and it was a large a large desert box turtle. He was a big dude. He, he, was, he was, in fact, heavy. It was truth in advertising. And they said that he was really affectionate. Because, like, the way he would open his mouth and look at you sometimes, I don't know. But 
there was this other story that was just bizarre. A woman in Florida, I don't know if you saw this, a woman in Florida is saying that an airline, Spirit Airline, which I will say I think is literally the worst. I think, right, Spirit is like among the very worst airlines. It's like if you're picking between North Korea Air and Spirit, it's really a coin flip. You know, you're not sure which one you're going to go with. But a woman in Florida says that Spirit Airlines, quote, forced her or told her to flush her emotional support hamster down a toilet because it wasn't allowed to fly with her. Now, now there's a lot of questions I've got here. All right, there's, there's a lot of things that come to mind. First of all, emotional support hamster. Did not know that was the thing. But, again, warm-blooded creature. I can kind of see it. People tell me that rats are surprisingly intelligent and can actually make good pets. Although in New York, we th- I know everyone goes, ee, they think of rats being so gross. But I mean, a guinea pig is basically a rat with a shorter tail, right? I mean, we really get a little, and a squirrel is just a rat with a bushy tail. So we're, we're kind of tomato-tomato on some of this stuff. And uh, But this woman says that she, w- she wasn't uh, able to... She wasn't able to bring her hamster on the plane with her, and so she flushed it down the toilet. I mean, I have to tell you, like, all I can do is think about how I felt about dogs in my life, and if someone told me that I had to do anything, never mind flush down a toilet, anything untoward to my animal, uh, much more likely that I would be violent against that person than the animal. <laughs> like, there's just no way. And I would never flush a hamster down a toilet, even if it wasn't mine. But if it's your emotional support animal because you need to get on the flight so badly, you're just going to say, see you later. I feel like she's kind of negated her case here. Um, I feel like this is not a situation where I can understand where she's coming from because, you know, if it's your emotional support animal, that's really important to you. You don't flush it down a toilet. This is terrible. It's like animal abuse. I didn't even know about this one yesterday. I I knew about the peacock, but. Kind of sad, little hamster, little guy. You know, he's probably a nice little furry dude, and now he's, I guess he's in hamster heaven somewhere or the septic tank of an airport. But nonetheless, emotional support hamster, making making headlines. Because, you know, we're, on the, we're always on the cutting edge of the stories here, folks. That's what we do. It's part of what keeps us going here in the Freedom Hut. So with that, we're going to come back to uh, some Team Buck roll call. Stay right there. It's time for a little bit of... Roll call. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. All right, so roll call. Here we go. One of my favorite parts of the show. I get to hear from all of you. Uh, first up, Alan with the following. I care about the debt. I couldn't follow the Tea Party anymore because they seem to not be worried about it now. Now I think the majority of people are like... We sent people up there to fix it, and then nobody's doing anything. I think we've all given up simply because the people we sent up there or do nothing, do nothing, and now we have no hope. Uh, well, Alan, I, I can understand that. Look, the Republicans right now are not doing anything serious about dealing with spending, dealing with the debt. They're not. We can talk about other things as much as we want, but that does not change the basic reality here. So there you go. Um, I'm wondering when that's going to change. Carolyn, with the next uh, next message up here in Team Buck Roll Call, isn't it richly ironic, after that whole Hillary email debacle, 
that the Democrats in Congress are suddenly heavily concerned about handling of classified information with regard to releasing these memos. Carolyn, I agree. I would just say that it is quite ironic, uh, and it is something that we should not forget, that these people who are now saying they're so worried about information getting out there that would be damaging to national security were saying, what's the big deal with Hillary's emails? Who cares? No big deal. So the, the I've said many times on the show, it just bears repeating, hypocrisy is the defining characteristic of the American left. Um, I think it's the single thing that separates them most from uh, the right, and, and just it's the one thing that you know you can expect from them all the time, no matter what the issue is. Uh, here we go. <laughs> I like this one from Alan. He sent me a <laughs> he sent me a wild turkey bourbon insignia, and he says this is my go to emotional support bird, better than a peacock. Well played, Alan. Well played. I'm with you on that. That's uh, you're going to get a lot of more mileage out of your wild turkey bourbon than you are your emotional support peacock. Sarah, with the next one, she sent me a a photo of, looks like a beagle, and she says, Hey, Buck, I heard on your show Thursday you love dogs. I wanted to share some photos. Here's a picture of our two, oh, wait, there's another one, two pups. Uh, The brown one is Chloe, and she unfortunately had cancer and passed away in August. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Losing your dog is very sad. It's like losing a family member. I'm a dog person and wanted my babies to grow up with one, so we quickly got Murphy. Oh, that's Murphy. He's like a looks like a cute beagle, maybe a beagle mix. I like him. Beagles are great dogs, really nice temperament. They can be a little yappy in my experience, but I overall like them. Recently I've been looking more at a at a breed that I don't think is an official breed, but it looks pretty cool. It's called an American bully, and it's kind of a cross between an American Staffordshire, which is the fancy term for a pit bull. And a an English bulldog. That's kind of what it looks like. They're they're on Instagram. You can see photos of them. American bully. They're very broad in the chest. They're very squat. It's like if you took a pit bull and made it squattier and and thicker and shorter. Uh, they're, they apparently have very nice disposition. Uh, you just don't want to make them mad. So, uh, but thank you for sending in the dog photo. I appreciate it. Uh, hey Buck, just listening. This is from Denny. Just listening to the audio of the Russian prank on Adam Schiff. I think I talked to that guy last week. He asked me if I wanted to reduce the interest rate on my credit card. Shields high. Well, Denny, I get these calls. If I ever find out who's responsible for them, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to find some way to get even. I don't know what it is, but I would gladly sue them. I would gladly, I, I'll, do, I'll do whatever I can within the law to exact revenge against Whoever has given my number to some woman, and it's the same thing every time, and I've blocked the number, because, you know, you can block with a smartphone, but she calls and she goes, Hello? Hi there. Oh, sorry. I just had to fix my headset. Did you know that you've just won a cruise? And I'm just like, and it's the same thing every time, and it's from a 202 number, which is a DC number. I know that, Erica, because I lived there. So there's some DC cell phone, and it's this woman who sounds like Minnie Mouse, Who's calling me, offering me, or saying that I've qualified, that's the thing, I've qualified for a free cruise, and I've never gotten beyond that. I have received that call 50 times in the last 12 to 18 months. I can't get it to stop calling my phone, and if I ever find the pieces of waste who are behind this thing, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I will crush them. <laughs> I'm going to exact my revenge. 
somehow. It's a, now it's so bad that even when like a fa- you know if someone calls me from I have family members who work and they maybe have a an unknown number you know they'll call from their office and the number will show up unknown and if I hear a pause for a minute I'm like ah I get all angry because I think it's the oh hi there I had to fix my headset. No, you did not fix your headset on this recording. And and I'll say this. Anyone who's dumb enough to think that's a real person, whatever money they lose in the process, it's tough for me to feel that bad for them. You know you qualified for a cruise? I'm like, qualified this. And I start punching the wall. I get very angry. It's terrible. I, I've read about how this happens. It's very tough to track these things down. I think some of them are actually originate from overseas and they bounce off of numbers here. It's all it's just a giant scam. It's all it's a giant scam. It's the the newest version of the Nigerian prince. Do you know that at one point, well, they call them 419 scams? Is that right? I think that's right, right? Is it a 419 scam? That's when they used to send you the, you know, I'm, an, I'm, the, I'm a Nigerian prince was the famous one. And I just need your, all your bank account information and I will deposit $10 million in your bank account. The FBI at one point was estimating that like hundreds of millions of dollars was lost to this scheme. And to, like people were doing this in large numbers. So... Yeah, that is a thing. All right, um, back into it here. We got Becky writing in uh, with the following. I greatly appreciated your accurate deep dive on MS-13. I'm half Salvadoran and did research for school on MS-13 and get frustrated with all the inaccurate reporting. One thing you didn't mention, it was the deportations back to El Salvador that expanded their violence to Central America. After they got deported, they spread like wildfire and got so much worse I'm actually off to El Salvador now. I'll keep my shield high. Well, Becky, keep your shield high and stay safe down there. Uh, to be fair, I think I did mention that they were deported and that they brought their L.A. gangbanger street skills with them. Um, I didn't spend as much time on it, mostly because I was just running short on time in the segment. But you're absolutely right that the hardened gangbangers from stateside who were deported because of the incredibly weak uh civil in- infrastructure and institutions police force judiciary back in El Salvador you know it was it was like uh, introducing a virus into a body with no immune system i mean they just uh they basically took over the place which is why the violence there got so bad but i'm glad you appreciated the MS13 deep dive it's one of the things i like to do most on the show is really read up on a subject in detail and then present you with the most important information I like to think it's one of the things that I do that uh, differentiates me from the, hey, oh, who's going down to the rodeo this weekend to buy a waterbed? Whoa, wah, wah. You know, there's a lot of that radio out there, too. Or, the country's about to collapse. It's all coming down. Everyone's going to die. I also don't do that. Some people think that, oh, the Constitution is being shredded. Uh, some people think that that's really useful or helpful or insightful. Um, I... I disagree. <laughs> so I, I, I'm aware of all of the problems the country has right now, but I disagree that yelling about how we're, we're days away from the end is, is a good thing. Um, let's get into a little more Team Buck roll call here. And I got a lot of messages here. Oh, Andrew, with an action movie quote via Facebook, which you are all welcome to. You're welcome to submit them via Facebook if you like. Probably going to have the same outcome which is that I will, in Chuck Norris fashion, do a fly kick and defeat you. Hey, Buck, here's an action movie quote for you. The movement, of, the movement is dead. Yes, of course, hence the name movement. It moves a certain distance, then stops. You see, a revolution gets its name by always coming back around in your face. Uh, well, that's obviously Tommy Lee Jones from Under Siege. So, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. A good quote, though. I'll give that to you. Um, also a book. So, I, I got that one. Yay. 
a, a late a late addition to my scoreboard here. Also, a book you should you and the rest of the team should read if you haven't. John Stryker Myers across the fence. The Secret War in Vietnam. As always, keep up the good work. I look forward to the next Shields High episode. Well, Andrew, thank you very much. And uh, I will check out that book. Although my stack right now is a little out of control. My my uh, my reading stack of stuff I'm trying to get through. Uh, it's getting a little bit... I try to keep it to... Because I read more than one thing at a time. I usually have three or four books that I'm taking turns. And I try to force myself to always at least read a chapter... Uh, or 50 pages, depending on whether it has chapters or not. But that's kind of... Otherwise, I find myself, I pick it up, I read five pages, I put it down, I go to something else. I, I need to actually get some get some mileage uh, on that book. So I've got a lot right now that I'm trying to make my way through. Uh, so we will get into it. Uh, I, I will hopefully look at that book another time. Chris, one more here. Ah, I recently had to certify my pups as emotional support dogs to be able to buy a condo where the old codgers on the board wouldn't allow dogs. I went through my, sh- my shrink since I have PTSD, but you can go online, pay, and get certification. I'm younger than all in the building, so I will take over and make them register their walkers. <laughs> I like this guy. Cadillac walkers will, will cost more. Yeah, Chris, that's right. You, 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 you show them. Those mean old people will let you have. First of all, you've got to be, like I said, dogs as service animals, I totally, I totally understand and support especially dogs that are either seeing-eye dogs or dogs with PTSD. A, a, a pheasant for emotional support? I don't know. I don't know how much support or a, or a peacock. I don't know how much support you're going to get from that, you know? So I do think we have to draw lines. I would even make the argument that your pet tarantula, were you to have one, which would also force me to ask a lot of other questions, a pet tarantula is not an emotional support animal, but an emotional irritant animal, as in it should scare the crap out of you. I don't know how anyone... People do this. I remember going into pet stores here in New York, and they would have, like, a big furry tarantula. And that's one of my one of my red lines, by the way. If the spider has fur on it, that's, like, the whole next level, right? Spiders are bad enough, but spider with fur is, you know, that's something that really gets me, gets me freaked out. What? What are you saying? Oh, yeah, well, snakes are obviously... That's a, I knew a girl growing up who had a, had a... You know, we were in grammar school or, or junior high... And I remember she had a party at her house, and she brought out, like, a white boa constrictor. And I was like, this is the grossest thing I've ever seen. You know, I don't understand the pet snake thing. Like, there's no emotional attachment there. You know, if you weren't looking and it thought it could get away with, you know, squeezing the life out of you and eating you whole, it would totally do it. I mean, they even knew this in the Jungle Book, right? The snake is not your friend. The snake is not your friend. They See, there's a little wisdom here on the Buck Sexton Show, too. That's what happens. I drop knowledge all over the place. That's going to be it for uh, this edition, my friends. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday. Shields high.